0: All right. Everybody hear me? Not nice. that the microphone makes a difference because I really have anybody say they can't hear me. Can you hear us? <laughs> I, I have my hearing aids in, so as long as you speak in your adult voice, outside voice, I'm good. All right. Um, today we're going to start an eight-week study on Israel. Uh, Vince started to steal my thunder last week during his little uh, sermonette, Uh, but we will kind of delve a lot deeper here um, as we're looking at Israel. Israel, the apple of God's eye, all for the glory of God, and an unchanging God in an ever-changing world. So let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, God, for who you are and that you are indeed unchanging and that we can trust your promises lord that we can understand um, that you are who you say you are lord i do ask now that you uh, uh be with me as i give this lesson this week uh for the next eight weeks in jesus name amen all right and if i mess with this a lot it's because i do have my hearing aids in and it doesn't fit well over my ears all right Primary sources for the following groups of studies that we're going to have is Donald Dr. Arnold Frochtenbaum. Um, he's put out a book called Israelology. It's the missing link in systematic theology. This is this is the book here. Um, it's a good read, but a difficult read. So it's not a something you're going to pick up and just read like a novel. The second. Uh, person that I got with uh, for references is Amir Safadi, um, and he put out a book called Israel and the Church. Both of these gentlemen here are Messianic Jews. Both of them are Jews by birth, and they have come to accept Christ as their Messiah. Uh, I've got some homework for you. Read Deuteronomy 28 through 30. That's a foundational scripture uh, for where we're headed with this. That's Deuteronomy 28, chapters 28 through 30. All right, during this study, uh, the intent is to uh, consider... A critical theology that the vast majority of Christendom has either not addressed or gets wrong. That's Israelology. And if you get Israel and Israel's place in God's plan wrong, you will get much of what God is presenting to humanity wrong. This is a critical piece of scripture or critical theology that we need to look at and get correct. Um, I hope through this, through the next six weeks, eight weeks, I hope to lay out in a systematic and logical format God's ultimate plan for Israel and ultimately all believers and where most of Christianity gets wrong. Just so you know, we here at SBC are in a very small minority, is where we stand with this. Uh, during the study, the intent is to review the different views on Israel present why Israel is so important to properly interpreting the Bible and Bible prophecy. Uh, We'll look at some of Israel's history and how it conforms to biblical prophecy and thus the entirety of scripture, making it the true and trustworthy word of God. uh part of the intent is to show that god indeed keeps all his promises and they aren't contingent on anything that the jews or we do or don't do and that's a big deal anybody here not commit a sin good i'm glad nobody raised their hand and that's thankfully i thank god that he he and only he is the one who sets the standard and keeps his promises Uh, Okay, why am I a Christian? Why do I believe the Bible? Why not something else? There are a lot of things out there besides the Bible that claim to be holy books, whether it's the Koran or other books that claim to be holy. Why is it that I believe the Bible and why I'm a Christian? I think that's the question everyone should ask and answer for themselves. Here's my answer. Why am I a Christian? Well, it's what best fits the reality of our world. I mean, look around. There is no other book that better fits our reality than the Bible. That's why I'm a Christian. Why do I believe the Bible? The Bible best describes mankind and mankind's condition. Right? We live in a world today where... Um, at least the majority of those who control information believe that mankind is basically good and you can't be any more wrong than that the bible best describes mankind's condition it has proven to be 100 percent accurate in both history and prophecy no other book can make that claim so what I want to do is take a few seconds. Let's look at how scholars have subdivided the Bible. Uh, it's something called systematic theology. Yeah,
1: I'll be the first one to interrupt you,
0: man. <laughs> <laughs> we're laughing because he asked me a question this morning, like, am I going to put together a slideshow that doesn't have to ask questions asked? Go ahead, Vince.
1: No, but uh, on the previous slide, I, I like what you have to say there, but uh, if I may, my, my experience is very different than yours. I came to uh, the, the fact. I came to realize the fact that the Scripture, that the Christianity, best fits reality, and that the Bible is the Word of God and is inspired. But that came all after I became saved.
0: Oh, same with me. And, uh, same so with before
1: me. Before I didn't know anything about it, so I didn't have all this knowledge. And then I said, "Well, I'm going to become a believer based on this knowledge." For me, it was the gospel, and after I believed the gospel, all that stuff makes sense.
0: I would agree, because my my salvation story is about reading a book. I would not have sat and listened to anyone tell me the gospel, because that was my attitude. I picked up a book that I thought was a science fiction. turned out not to be. And it gave this plan of salvation. And as I read through it, everything that was in that book made sense from what I knew as reality. All right. Let's look at how scholars have subdivided the Bible, and it's called systematic theology. Um, Systematic theology is a discipline of Christian theology that formulates an orderly, rational, and coherent account of the doctrines of the Bible. And there are individual, separate, and unique doctrines within Scripture. Uh, The number of categories vary depending on one's basic hermeneutics. And hermeneutics is the science and the art of biblical interpretation, or hermeneutics is the science that teaches us the principles, laws, and methods of biblical interpretation. Allegorical versus literal interpretation, and there's a spectrum along there between the two. Whoops. So where do you think SBC hermeneutics land on the interpretation continual? elders can't tell me that (laughs) so where do you think sbc stands on it more towards the left or the allegorical or literal? literal literal right absolutely i mean the bible's pretty clear it says what it says unless the bible itself tells you that there are it's an allegory and there are allegories in the bible but the bible tells you that here's a partial list of categories as an example Theology proper is the study of God the Father. Pneumatology is the study of the Holy Spirit. Soteriology is the study of salvation. Angelology or demonology is the study of angels and demons from a biblical standpoint. Emeritology is the study of sin. Eschatology is the study of end times. Christology is the study of Jesus Christ or God the Son. Bibliology is a study of the Bible itself. Soteriology is the study of salvation. Christian anthropology is the study of man. However, one major theological category is missing from every systematic theology book I've ever seen, and I've seen a number of them, and that's Israelology. For whatever reason, the study of Israel is missing from all the—at least the ones that I know of—of of systematic theology books. Anybody seen any of that have it? I—I I certainly haven't. Dr. Arnold rechtenbaum's israelogy The Missing Link in Systematic Theology is by far the most comprehensive work out there, and there are. Over a thousand pages in this little book here. And he writes at a college level. I would highly recommend that you get it and study it. It's, one, it's a great resource for Bible studies. Again, I believe it should be part of every serious biblical student's library. If you don't get Israel and Israel's place in God's plan correct, you can't get eschatology correct and it will be skewed. And that will become obvious as we go through this study. 100% of the church's foundation was Jewish. 100%. Salvation and the gospel was to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. We'll be delving into John chapter 15, the parable of the vine and the branches, somewhere in this study, later on in the study. But this is, that's an important piece that Christ laid out. How do we know the Bible is true? This is an often asked question for me. How do you know the Bible is true? Anybody? How do you know the Bible is true? Tom?
1: Well, aside from telling them that uh, our spirit bears witness with the Holy Spirit that the Bible's true, which the unbeliever cannot understand, um, an external proof, one of them would be where you're going to go would be Israel, the existence of Israel,
0: One word. What's that word? You hit it. Israel. Israel is a word that I tell people. How do you know the Bible's true? Israel, right? How many Jews are there in the world today? Does anybody know? Approximately six million. Huh? Six million. It's about fourteen million worldwide. It's about six million in Israel itself, but there's a larger population, believe it or not, of Jews in New York City than there is in Israel. Um, but Israel, these people, the Israel, the Israelites, have been persecuted forever. There have been numerous attempts to try to wipe them from the face of the earth. No other people have been able, in history, have been able to maintain their unique identity and reestablish themselves as a nation after 2,000 plus years. Israel. If that's not a miracle of God, nothing is. From Abraham to modern Israel? (sighs) God has preserved his chosen people and nation. Why? Because of his name. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Is that a promise to the Christian or the Jew? Yes. No. No. It's a promise to the Jew. We get a pro- we get a similar promise in the New Testament, but we don't get the right to claim this promise. Okay. <laughs> this is to the Jew. It's to the nation of Israel. We get our own unique promise in Matthew chapter twenty-eight. Christ's promise. Go ahead.
1: One way to think about it: if it is in the Old Testament, uh, it's going to be to the Jew. Correct. So that's the easy way to.
0: I would, I would agree 100%. Too many times Christians try to take the promises that were given to Israel. Well, if you're going to do that, you better be prepared to take the curses as well. This is a two-sided coin here. The, with promises and curses, right? There are unconditional promises that were given to the Jew, but there were conditional promises as well. And each conditional promise came with a curse and a promise okay this is what the lord says only if the heavens above can be measured and the fountains of the earth below be searched out will i reject the descendants of israel because of all they have done declares the lord when did when was this written about when did jeremiah live does anybody know about when in the jewish history Babylonian captivity. He, he, he was there when the Babylonians were really conquering Jerusalem. And then, if you remember, he buried, he, he bought land, buried the deed, and then went to Egypt. So, only if the heavens above can be measured and the fountains of the earth below be searched out, will I reject the descendants of Israel because of all they have done, declares the Lord. We know more about space than we do about our own planet. Remember this verse. It's essential as we delve into God's character. Okay? It's essential. Because this is an unconditional declaration by God, isn't it? Jeremiah? He doesn't put any conditions on it. Matter of fact, the reverse is true. Do we have a similar promise from Christ in the New Testament? Yep, we do who is god so what i want to do for the rest of the time that we have is i want to go over who is god because that's an important question right when god created adam and eve did he know they would sin okay yes when god made the unconditional promises to abraham and his descendants did he know that they would rebel well the answer is obviously of course he did yes when god promised david an eternal throne did he know he would eventually place a blood curse on david's royal line and it would end yep then if that's the case here's a quick question to think about how is it that jesus christ then has the right to sit on the throne of david because he isn't from the royal line of david He's from the line of Nathan, who was not the royal line. How then is it that Christ gets the right to sit on the throne? We'll, we'll talk about that. Did Israel's rebellion come as a surprise to God? Does our rebellion come as a surprise to God? Did Israel's national rejection of Messiah catch God by surprise? No, it didn't. Did God know all your sins before you committed them? And yet he still died for us. Go figure. Did he die for you in spite of those sins? Yep. Thankfully, God can't be surprised by anything. There isn't anything that we do at any time that surprises God. Why? If God could be surprised, our next sin would catch God's by surprise. If He could abandon His commitment to Israel, He can certainly abandon His promises to all of us. You have it. I knew you'd be the one. <laughs>
1: but you know, I like that statement. Thankfully, God cannot be surprised by anything. That's such a comforting statement.
0: Oh, I, I agree.
1: You know, because we live in a troubled world that we don't know. What's going Right. But as long as we keep on trusting the Lord, you know, so, you, you know, the Lord's got it. This is not new to him. This is not, uh, oh, what am I going to do now? Uh, yeah, we may be a little upset. We may be, you know, whatever. But, so, you know, God's got it. The Lord's got it. He, you
0: know, so, I, so I couldn't agree more. You know, um, Margie's had a lot of health problems. And I've been approached by numerous people say, don't get mad at God. Why would I get mad at God? I've got no reason to get mad at God. None. We live in a fallen world, kind of like Vince says. All the sin, all the sickness that we have, if we really want to know whose fault it is, all of us should get in front of a mirror today. Because it's our fault, not God's. He, he gave us a will. We choose to do what Adam did. I always, I always like to say that what, I like to sit down with Adam when we get to heaven, because I believe he's in heaven. I like to sit down with him and say, what were you thinking? And his response would be, well, you'd have done the same thing. Huh?
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> if he could abandon his commitment to Israel, he could abandon his, his promises to all true believers, because we could do something so hideous as to cause God to change his mind thankfully that's not the case and you can rest on that god's attributes what we're going to do is now we're going to look at some of the attributes of god okay omnipresent whoops omnipresent god is everywhere simultaneously and at all times that won't change right we have the holy spirit dwelling in us when the rapture occurs Right? We're going to be pulled out of here. Does that mean the Holy Spirit no longer is in the planet? No, it doesn't. He is just no longer indwelling the believer like he is with us. But he still is there, just like the Old Testament. God is everywhere, simultaneously and at all times. Omniscience. He knows all things. Remember that one. Omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Immutable, which means he is never changing. Remember that one. All right, we're going to focus on, in more detail, on God's attributes of omniscience and immutability. Those are the two biggies for this study. Not that the others aren't important, but these are the two biggies for this study. All right, these characteristics of God are essential to properly understanding Israel's eternal place in God's plan for mankind eternal place god's omniscience. god knows all things past present and future from man's perspective okay when we think about time right here's the way i like to explain it the past right the past is a memory the present is where we live we always live in the present the future is a guess. We only hope for certain things in the future. We know what the ultimate outcome of the future is going to be, but we don't know what's going to happen one second from now. That's important. We only live in the present. The past is a memory. The future is really unknown to us. He knows them all from eternity and perfectly. He knows things immediately, simultaneously, exhaustively, and truly. Again, nothing can surprise God. Proverbs 15, 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Jeremiah 23, 23 through 25, I am a God near at hand, says the Lord and not a God afar off. So that's a big deal because who is Allah in Islam? Anybody know?
1: Nobody.
0: Well, I get it. But, but who do they think he is? He, he's a, Allah is a God afar off. He is not anywhere near anybody who believes Islam. Granted, he's not anybody, but I like to tell Islam, people who are of Muslim faith, someday Allah will bow his knee to my God. All right. He knows things immediately, simultaneously, exhaustively. Uh, I am a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off. Can anyone hide himself in secret places? So I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do, Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. God knows. You can't hide from him. His understanding is infinite. We can't comprehend that. Right? We all, everybody has a different level of intellect and different level of knowledge or education. But nothing ever gets close to God in the infinite in spite of the pride of mankind. Isaiah 46:10 10, 10 says declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure how does that affect our free will anybody thinking through that because if you don't have a free will everything I'm saying right now is already preordained But I believe we have a free will. How does that affect our free will?
1: Well, there's the proverb: a man plans his way, but
0: God directs his paths.
1: We are responsible to make choices. At the end of the day, you know.
0: It won't change God's plan. Nope. We do have a free will. We do have a free will, and we can choose to either be involved in God's plan or not be involved in God's plan. Either way, it's our choice. God's plan will not be thwarted. There's nothing we can do to thwart God's plan. Satan may think he can, but that's one of the reasons he attacks Israel so much. Tom. I, I agree with you. It's irrelevant to what you believe, and that's why I'm, I'm saying that because I don't think it's relevant that whether Calvinists believe it or not, Calvinists believe it or not. And if you're a hyper Calvinist where you won't believe in any free will whatsoever, um, the fact that you believe that is is a free will thought. Matthew ten thirty, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Think about that. Anybody ever... Some people it's easier to number your hair than others, mind you. But (laughs) teeth is super simple. Um, (laughs) There might be three. Without counting his chin. (laughs) Um, You ever try to count the hairs of your head? But yet God has all of our hairs on our head numbered. Even those who have a full head of hair, and if I let it grow you'd see it is, Um, So God has numbered them all. That's how much he cares. God knows the future. Now, what does that mean? From man's standpoint, God's knowledge of the future is what we call foreknowledge. So he knew it ahead of time. Right? So, again, it goes back to how do we think about reality, time. We think about time that moves along a plane. Always going from left to right, right? The past is a memory. We live in the present, which is moving into the future, but we never get to the future because it's always the present. Now, if that doesn't blow your mind, let me know. Uh,
1: yes? Yeah, if I may add a little bit on the nomination. Um, it's, uh the thing about, you know, when we talk about prophecy, we say that God declaring what's going to happen in the future. Correct. Yeah. That definition is a little bit short, I believe. Uh, it's not only that God declared what's going to happen in the future, it's more than that God is declaring what he's going to do in the future, because he's already omniscient. He knows what's in the
0: future. I understand, and we'll get to that in the next point. Okay, excellent.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I just wanted to give man's perspective, because we have to see, we see things from our perspective, right? We can't see things from God's perspective. We only hope to get a glimpse of God's perspective. Okay? So... That's why Peter says, you're elect according to God's foreknowledge. The word is foreknowledge, which from a man's perspective means he knew it in the future. However, but God knows all things by one simultaneous intuition. God is not constrained by time. He's not constrained by the physical universe. He foreknew the future. In 46.9, remember the former things of old, for I am God. And there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things that are not yet done. Saying, "My counsel, sh- oh, I gotta move this thing." <laughs> and from the ancient times, things that are not yet done. Saying, "My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure." Now. When God presents things in Scripture, He presents them in a way that we can at least somewhat comprehend. Right? Again, we can't comprehend the true nature of God because it's beyond our comprehension. But here God says, I'm declaring the end from the beginning, which means it's already all set. Right? It's already all set. And I will do all my pleasure. Uh, he foreknew the evil of Israel would do in Deuteronomy 31, 20 through 21. Tom, you want to read that? So, if you were a Jew, and you just got this from Moses, you'd be pretty pessimistic about the future. Right? But, and we'll get into it, the future is really bright for Israel. A lot of down points between men and the brightness, but it's really bright. God also foreknew the evil course the church would take. I know we tend to think of it. We live in a little isolated bubble here at SBC. We're very fortunate to be part of a church that stands firm on Scripture. Very fortunate. Marge and I have lived all over this planet. And I'm here to tell you it is extremely difficult to find a good Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching church that's solid in doctrine. There have been places we've lived where we started our own church. Because one, one just wasn't there. And thankfully, in every place we've lived, there were fellow believers who joined in that effort. He foreknew the evil the church would take. Vince, could you read that? Oh, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5.
1: and another season, uh, convinced with you are served in all most suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not improve sound doctrine but according to their own desires because so they have teaching ears, they will give up for themselves teachers and they will turn ears away from the truth and be turned aside to failures but you be watchful in all things endure afflictions to your work on evangelists and fulfill your needs okay
0: so The church today, would you say there's a remnant or the church is rather quite large? The true church. Huh? Probably a remnant. I would agree there's a remnant. I think one of the things that the the this coronavirus global lockdown did was call the church. Only people who were willing to stand by God did at whatever cost it was. Yeah. Man. yeah. Jesus said, uh, narrow is the way, few there are that go, go into it, into the kingdom of God. Well, agreed. But there is about 1.7 billion people on the planet who claim to be Christian. That's fairly sizable. That's why this, this section of Scripture is so important. You know, and I've seen this. I, I can't. I couldn't get my hands on it again. But as a percentage of the population, and there's what seven, seven and a half billion people on the planet, give or take. As a percentage of the population, there's a, there's a similar percentage of Gentiles who are believers as there are Jews. Do you know there are many Messianic congregations in Israel? God's mutability. Mutability, God's essence, attributes, and consciousness, and we are, and, we, I'm sorry. God's essence, attributes, consciousness, and will are unchangeable. Boy, we ought to be thankful to God for that. Anybody here ever change their mind on something?
1: <laughs> no? Well, let me replace that.
0: See, by definition, all changes must be to the better or the worse, right? You know, Vince and I were talking before uh, Sunday school. He was asking me, you know, you you put together uh, a Sunday school lesson where nobody will ask questions, and my response was, "When you achieve that, you let me know." (laughs) Because you have to plan in that, right? By definition. And, and I've done a, I've put together a ton of briefings for flag officers when I was in the military and civilian. And one thing I know for sure, you make a lot of changes. A ton of changes. Some are, some are to the good, some are to the worse. That's why I always sat with my boss, who was a flag officer, and ran these through him when I was briefing, say, the commander. By definition, all changes to the better or the worse. God can't change to the better or the worse. Why? Because He's already absolutely perfect, right? There is no better to be had. Thankfully, there isn't. So, God can't change to the better, for sure. God can never be wiser, more holy, more just, more merciful, or more truthful, or less so. Okay? That ought to give us a whole lot to sit on and trust on because God cannot be any wiser, holy, merciful, or truthful, nor can it be less so because he is the standard of which everything is measured. Right? Paul brings that out in Romans perfectly. You know, if, if you want to follow the law, knock yourself out, but you're in deep trouble because it's not possible to follow the law. You can't. Go ahead,
1: Vince. Yeah. Uh, I want to comment this, this immutability of God is becoming more and more people are talking about more and more now in, in the evangelical uh, circle, but they relate that to us being created in the image of God and how we as humans have certain characteristics that are immutable. Uh, and when they talk about that, they say, you know, what is one characteristic that is immutable? I will always be male.
0: Okay, all right. It's an
1: immutable characteristic sure. that, uh, that I have. I, I cannot change. So, they, you know, God has given us some, yeah, we change our minds, you know, stuff like that. But there are certain characteristics. Uh,
0: From a physical perspective, you cannot, now, you have lots of immutable characteristics. Right. In that right. Because yeah. right. so, you'll never be taller. Maybe shorter eventually, but you'll never be taller. Um, <laughs> do you know you can change your IQ? Does anybody know that? You can change your IQ. You can you can actually raise your IQ. So even your IQ is not immutable. Um, but God can never be wiser, more holy, just, merciful, or truthful, and He can't be less so. God's plans and purposes can't change. Why? Because of his immutability. Right? When God says, this is this is it, guess what? This is it. Okay? We, as human beings, we tend to get a little anxious, right? You know, there was a time when I say, I wish God would show me what's going to happen next. And then next happens, and I'm saying, I'm glad God didn't show me that because there are a lot of things that I wouldn't do if I knew the, every detail of every every action, right? Scripture teaches the immutability of God. No ifs, ands, buts about it. James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. There is no variation in God. None. Malachi 3.6, this is one Vince brought up last week. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed. Whom? Who's not consumed there? Israel, O sons of Jacob. And remember, Jacob, Jacob's name was changed too? Israel. Israel. So, in the Old Testament, especially in the Old Testament, when he talks talks about Jacob after he's dead, it's interchangeable with the term israel for i am the lord i do not change therefore you are not consumed O sons of jacob okay this is malachi where was malachi on the um, timeline of prophets early on or much later toward the end huh (laughs) <laughs> and and if and if you're of vince vince's ethnic background it would be malachi which is the first italian prophet <laughs> but no he was toward the end now you can't look at how we lay out the old testament and say that was the chronological order because that wasn't but he was toward the end malachi for i am the lord i do not change therefore you are not consumed O sons of jacob Hebrews 1, 12, like a cloak, you will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not fail. Okay. This universe is going to eventually go away. The universe as we know it will eventually go away. It will be consumed by fire. This is after the millennial kingdom. It will be consumed by fire, but yet God doesn't change. Okay. That's a big deal. He doesn't change with regard to his power. He's always all-powerful. Romans 4, 20 through 21, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Okay? That's a big deal. It's a big deal for me, that I know that whatever it was God promised, he can do it. That's to the good and the bad, by the way at least from our perspective. He doesn't change with regard to his plans and purposes. Isaiah 46, 10, declaring the, the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Yeah, you saw that before. He doesn't change with regard to his promises. Oh, this is a... First king 856 blessed be the lord who has given rest to his people israel according to all that he promised there has not failed one word of all his good promise which he promised through his servant moses second corinthians 120 for all the promises of god in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of god through us he doesn't change with regard to his promises jeremiah eighteen eight, if that nation against whom i have spoken turns from its evil i will relent of the disaster that i thought to bring upon them so an important one here did god change his mind or did he give you an option and says if you do this this is going to happen if you don't do this this is going to happen right that's what happened for Nineveh when um, Jonah was spit out onto the beach, you know, bleach white with seafood all over him. Seafood, <laughs> maybe seafood, seaweed all over him, and he walks into Nineveh and says, "Repent, or you're done," and walks out. What did Nineveh do? They repented. Imagine seeing a guy like that who you know was spit up on a fish because everybody who was on the shore fishing saw it happen, right? Um, Jonah wasn't happy about it, but God decided, all right, you've got some more time. So God is immutable. He doesn't change. All right, that's all we got for this week. And we'll pick up again next week. And next week, we'll start with God's commitment to Israel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for, for who you are and, and the fact that you do not change, Lord, and that we can trust your promises and trust in who you are. Lord, we are also extremely glad that um, there's nothing that we can do to surprise you, Lord. Uh, Lord, that your, you will stand and your promises will stand. Lord, we do ask this in Jesus' name.
1: Amen.